Welcome to the Basic Scotland podcast series. These are brief snapshots of topics relevant to pre-hospital care, predominantly within Scotland, and some deep dives into specialist areas with experts from a wide range of disciplines. My name is Dave Strachan. I'm an Army Surgical Registrar, a Basics Responder, and a Mountain Rescue Doctor. We at Basic Scotland are very grateful to NHS Education for Scotland for all of their support with these podcasts. Joining us again tonight is Mark Worrell. Mark is a paediatric intensivist at the Royal Hospital for Children in Glasgow. He's a consultant in paediatric critical care transport at Scottstar. He's also one of our responder support clinicians for Basic Scotland. Mark's here tonight to chat to us about seizures and about dealing with the fitting child. Mark, thanks so much for coming on to chat. Hi Dave, yeah, thanks for having me back. As we've done previously, let's just try and pin down something of a definition around what we mean by sort of paediatric seizures. Okay, so it's quite a, a wide um, um, definition, really, and the, the terminology has changed for the, the past few years. So you've got words like seizure, fit used to be used, convulsions, tonic-clonic, febrile convulsions, and you've got focal seizures, generalized seizures, grand mal used to be used. So you've got loads of different terms Dave, that have been used interchangeably to mean the same or slightly different things. So yeah, I'm glad you've asked the question about definitions. Uh, I think the main scary one is convulsive status epilepticus, which is replaced really a tonic-clonic seizure. And then you've got, is the seizure focal? Is it affecting one part of the body? Or is it generalized, which is affecting both sides of the body? And you've got a seizure affecting the entire body that is generalized. And I think they're probably the, the main definitions probably need to focus on. Okay, so you've mentioned convulsive status epilepticus. And again, they're, they're sort of terminologies that we're reasonably familiar with, but, but what exactly do we mean by moving into that concept of status? Okay, so the status means essentially that you've got a seizure that's continued for more than five minutes. And I think that's really the broad brush definition. It's a generalized, so it's an all over body seizure that's lasting more than five minutes. Okay, given that I'm a, I'm a sort of a, a fairly thick surgeon, what's happening within the brain? Is this a mechanical problem? Is this an electrical problem? Why do these kids seize in broad brush, simple terms? Okay, basic terms is electrical activity is, is all firing at all different times across the entire brain. So you, you're basically getting complete malfunction of firing of the nerve impulses affecting all areas of the brain. And that's triggering these sort of uncoordinated muscular activities that we then see as being a seizure. So seizures don't always cause muscular activity. But what we're talking about here with this automated asynchronous firing of electroactivity in the brain, they will go down the spinal cord and it will make the muscles work, but they will work in different timings. So it'll look like the child is shaking, but it's not coordinated. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think most folk have got in their heads an idea of what a seizure looks like. But I guess one of the things I want to try and unpick is some of the spread of presentation. So we've got the kind of classic fitting kids. What other things do we need to think about in terms of presentations that might fit with an underlying seizure problem? So seizures can present in various different ways, but it may be a child that's already got a known seizure disorder. So when you 
code to see the child you've been alerted to uh, who's having a seizure that is prolonged. The parents may well tell you they've got a seizure disorder already with a clear diagnosis and there's a whole list of diagnoses that could be taking place. But you may well then find that they've got a nice laminated pathway which is bespoke for this child for their seizure management which may be the same as what the jail calc says or it may be slightly different and the parents may have instituted some management already so you may be faced with a child that has a seizure disorder and then there's a nice sheet there for you and the caregivers to follow we can't have a discussion about seizures without talking about febrile convulsions which in some of you are quite common in children i think one in 30 is a quote can have a fever that leads to a seizure usually happens in the six months to three-year-olds and then after the three-year-olds these kind of settle down and they can be a family history but the definition is febrile they have to have a temperature and they have a convulsion but it's less than five minutes so it doesn't meet the criteria of status leptocus. fantastic yeah glad you covered febrile seizures because that's a pretty important topic is there anything else within that kind of wheelhouse of, of seizures yeah, so the one that probably causes some concerns is if it's a focal seizure and if it's new onset, that could open up a whole different type of differential diagnosis potentially. It could be that the onset of a seizure disorder or it could be something that's underlying. So it's, it's important to note that history if it was focal or generalized. And focal, I mean, is, is affecting one particular area of the body. It might be the face, might be the arm, might be the leg. And it may start focal and then proceed to then go into a generalized. So the parents these days have all got um, phones that have got video. So they may have taken some video of this, which will be helpful for yourselves and will also help for the clinicians in ED and further down the lines in investigating and managing this child. But focal seizures can occur as well. So I've been called to the house of a young child who's had what appears to be a first seizure and they've still got some ongoing activity. What sort of things do I need to think about in terms of my assessment and, and sort of initial basics of, of managing these patients? So it's always going to follow the same letters as it always does, which is if there's no sign of any trauma, A, B, C, D, E, and sorting out the airway because is this a hypoxic cause for their seizures? Okay, so it's being very systematic in what you do. Um, so applying some oxygen, airway maneuvers if you can, that may well potentially be tricky if their jaw is clenched. You may need to think about airway adjuncts if you can do that. Depends what you carry and the size of the patient, but it's given some oxygen and trying to open up the airway as much as you can. But you may or may not be fully successful at that. And then it's thinking, looking at their breathing, is there a respiratory cause of this situation? And then looking at cardiovascular. So it's, it's taking a systematic approach, but also thinking that if it's, more than five minutes for this seizure or there's been multiple clusters of seizures in a short time frame that you're probably going to have to give some drugs to stop this okay we'll come back to drugs in just a second but you mentioned the cardiovascular thing and am i right in saying that younger kids cardiovascular causes of, of fits can be not common but can certainly be a possibility so i'm being wide in my diagnosis here so this could be seizure first seizure disorder first diagnosed seizures but what i'm trying to elaborate here is you could have had a lack of oxygen or blood flow to the brain and that has led to the seizure so lack of oxygenated blood getting to the brain for whatever reason in an airway problem a breathing problem a circulation problem could be the reason why they're having a seizure so it, that is tricky to find out sometimes 
But if there's something obvious that's led to this, you know, sepsis is one of them, or a rare congenital cardiac problems and everything, these are other reasons why you might have a seizure. So it's just widening the diagnosis. But I don't think it's going to change what you do initially. And, and it's about keeping things basic and just running through your system and not just running straight to put a cannula in and giving some benzos or reaching for a bottle and giving some a buckle um, benzodiazepine. So it's just it's trying to remind people to have a system to work through first. You've mentioned benzos. I guess when first started doing pre-hospital stuff, everyone got PR diazepam. Um, and that seems to be out of fashion. And most folk now are kind of heading down the buckle route. Talk me through how you would administer a buckle dose of midazolam. So you need a, a small volume. So you're going to need a small syringe. And you basically squirt it into the floor of the mouth just below the tongue is what I normally do. There's probably a more scientific way of doing this, but I, I don't think... It's possible if the child's got a clenching mouth. We've talked about this before, Dave, as well, haven't we? Other routes, if you can't get in, is to give it intranasal with an aptomizer if you've got one of those as well. And as always, look the dose up. And we're not going to tell you the dose on here is to look the dose up because it's a milligram per kilogram dose. Brilliant. Okay, so we get that initial dose in. And I'm right in saying there's still sort of a lag period whilst we allow that to work. Is there anything else that we need to do in terms of investigations or examinations whilst we're waiting for that dose to take effect? Yeah, I think there's something we've not touched on, which is hugely important for children with convulsive status epilepticus, is to check their glucose. Their glucose may well be low. And if it's less than three, you need to do something about it. And that comes into the ABCD. DEFG is don't ever forget your glucose. So it's checking the glucose, and if that's low, is giving the normal management of that, which is two mil per kilo, ten percent glucose intravenous. Fantastic. Okay. At some point, we're going to have to think about either doubling down and giving a second treatment dose, or getting some advice from secondary care about where we go next. What would be your suggestion? Would you give a second dose of benzo? Yeah, so you need to terminate this. You need to be aggressive in trying to terminate it. The longer it goes on, the more difficult it's going to be to terminate this generalized seizure that you've got. And you know, the literature is clear. If it goes on for more than an hour, then then you start to getting into problems with more mortality. So, and this is why we need to be quite aggressive from the start. So you've given your first benzodiazepine. Okay, you then need to consider giving the second diazepine, but the route can be slightly different depending on what you're able to do. So. If you're able to get an intravenous cannula in, giving an intravenous lorazepam at 0.1 per kilo is what you want to do. But if you're not able to do that, you're not able to get a cannula, or you're not able to get intraosseous access, then you can give a second buccal midazolam instead. Okay, so second dose, you're going to change to lorazepam if you've got IV, and if not, you're going to go for yep. another dose of, of buccal. And I'm assuming that the vast majority of these kids, particularly for a first seizure, are going to be heading to hospital as soon as we can get them there. Yeah, you need to be heading to the hospital because if the benzodiazepines aren't working, you may need to look at second leg agents, which on the whole, we're not going to have access to. So we're thinking about levetiracetam, phenytoin or fembarbitone um, for the second line. And then the third line is potentially general anesthesia if they've got seizures that are refractory to the other treatment that you've given. All things that I'm definitely not carrying in my uh, sandpaper bag. So uh, that makes life nice and straightforward. They get a trip to hospital. Yeah, absolutely. It's straightforward. They're going to go to hospital. Let's just touch on a couple of special cases. Uh, one thing that I'm always 
slightly twitchy about is head injuries in kids. Do we need to have any particular thoughts around seizures post-head injury? Yeah, so if a child's had a significant head injury, they're at risk of having a seizure. If you've had a head injury, you may already potentially have oxygen and blood supply problems to areas of the brain, depending if it's a localised or more of a bigger injury. But you, you potentially got an underlying injury to the brain. That area of the brain is going to be fragile and further lack of oxygen or blood supply is going to make that injury bigger. And we've talked about the generalised electrical activity from a generalised seizure. And when that's happening, it's consuming a massive amount of oxygen. And if that happens, what you're going to do is you're going to make that initial brain injury worse. You're going to make the fringes of that, of where it's just about getting enough oxygen supply, then worsen. And so the amount of injured brain is going to continue to increase if you have continued seizures. So you need to follow your ABCDE, as we've talked about before. Glucose with seizures is very important, but for head injury as well. In one instance of low sugar, that's going to increase your mortality. So being aggressive with your seizure management and aggressive with your management of any hypoglycemia. And then you're varying into the management of a head injury. But you need to try and reduce the secondary brain injury potential from seizures. And I guess part of that is always that sort of little red flag about non-accidental injury. Are there any particular warning signs that we need to just have on the peripheries for NAI around head injuries in kids and sort of first seizures? So children that are less than one years of age and who've had atypical seizures is what they call them in the hospital, is seizures that potentially were focal and then gone generalised. You know, that's atypical seizure presentation, which is different to what we've talked about with convulsive states of epilepticus. And we'll be thinking there's a potential for head injury, which potentially, because children less than one are not usually that mobile on their feet, could be due to non-accidental injury. And there'll be a lower threshold to get these children CT'd. And one of the reasons is to look for, is there an underlying head injury or is there something else that's going on which may be like a brain tumour. So that's the type of patients we'd be worried about a head injury that's presented as a seizure and, and they're the type of patient group that might have non-accidental injury going on and with all non-accidental injury the history sometimes gives you little clues that that, that might be the case. So I guess from a pre-hospital point of view it's making sure that that documentation is clear and that you're conveying any of your concerns to the next level of care is that a fair kind of summary yeah i think so and we've all if you're worried about non-accidental injury you should do a notification concern and usually if able you should tell the caregivers the parents that you're going to do that as a matter of course certainly in the hospital i work in if there's anyone less than two has had a significant injury or less than one year old that's come in with like a presentation this it's an automatic notification concern and that's the rule there. And sometimes that might be because the family need extra support, or it might be the fact we think there may be something else going on. And it's worth reminding that the Scottish Ambulance Service, as with Basic Scotland, they can do a notification of concern themselves. Fantastic. Yes, good to touch on that again. So whilst we're dealing with the younger children, neonatal seizures, anything that we need to kind of think about with, with regards to the very wee ones? Um, so the management is the same, except they're smaller. 
Um, their management will change when they get into hospital. You know, I hint, said about levetiracetamiferatorin or phenobarbital, that they will use slightly different medications if they're going to use the neonatal seizure management. This is out the sphere of pre-hospital. The things to think about the teeny weenies is the differential is sepsis, a metabolic problem that's presenting itself, and cardiac. They're the other things that could be causing seizures. So those are the things you've got to think about in the differential that are paramount to be thought about. And they're probably going to get some antibiotics for meningitis and, and for sepsis and potentially some antivirals as well for, to cover for encephalitis. So they're going to get a whole heap of medications until we find out what's going on with them because they're teeny weeny. I'm glad you mentioned meningitis because that was on my list of things to, to cover off. Just, are there any particular things in the history, if we come across a kid at the point at which they've taken some seizure activity is there anything in the history that might make us want to think about meningitis your meningitis is quite a spectrum of how it can present and sometimes it becomes more obvious the times go by or we diagnose it off tests that we do in hospital but i think things that might hint towards that are the history if it's been quick, if they had a fever, if they got a rash that's non-blanching, if they had neck stiffness, if they had any preceding illness. So I think it's it's things like that. But having a, a low threshold, you think it's meningitis. And I think if you think it's meningitis, is to, to do what you normally do, which I think most of us would be Ben-Pem. Some of us may use a, a broad-spectrum cathodosporin, but to, to use antibiotics if you think that's the case. Recap that. If there's any suspicion, really crack on, treat it, and then transport and pass on your suspicions to ED. Absolutely. And you have a low threshold. If you think there's anything in the history, you might think that meningitis is to manage it accordingly, especially if they've had a temperature and it's the whole clinical situation has been prolonged. Fantastic. And I guess the last thing to touch on is, certainly when I've been to kids who have fitted before, a lot of parents will sort of jump to the worst case scenario and be convinced that this is now epilepsy and that this is a life-changing thing for their kid. Is that realistic? Do you have a feel for whether most of these kids is a one-off thing or or is this the start of a a significant life-changing disease process? I think they need to go and see the specialists that deal with seizure disorders. And we've touched on some of the conditions that can cause seizures and I think they need to go through them which are the ones that are going to kill you and the differential, which ones are serious, and then work through those. There are first seizure clinic referral guidelines that we have in our our hospital, which I'm sure other paediatric centres will have. And it's about working through those and to work out if the diagnosis is is obvious, is it uh, something that's simple or or something that needs more investigation. And I think going for this in a podcast will take a little bit longer, but they need to go somewhere where they can differentiate is this going to be a long-term seizure disorder or not? And that will only come clear with the history, maybe with the parents taking the video and some tests being done. Fantastic. So we can maybe get them to, to pump on the brakes a little bit on on replanning everything in, in the child's life. Yeah, I think so. I'm talking on behalf of my paediatric colleagues. We care careful on labelling children with a, a seizure disorder too prematurely until working it. And we've already touched on other things as well. Is this a cardiovascular problem or as well it needs to be looked at? So I think, yes, the parents are obviously and automatically going to be worried this, this is the first seizure that their child's now going to have continued seizures. But I think they need to go to a centre that has paediatrics so they can work through their systems to work out what has happened.
Fantastic. Mark, I'm going to get you to give us your three top tips for dealing with the seizing child. What would you suggest that folk kind of hang on to from this podcast? Follow your A, B, C, D, E. Don't ever forget glucose and book on midazolam. Or if you're really stuck, intranasal midazolam, if you can't get it into, into the mouth. If they've been seizing for more than five minutes, is uh, the best treatment option. Fantastic. Thanks so much for walking me through that and making it, <laughs> making what's a fairly stressful topic a huge amount clearer. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me back again. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.